Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined once again by... Gentlemen. Uh, I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, Anthony Oliveira, uh, Mia Koopa on Twitter. Uh, I'm Joe Reed, and I have not moved from this space in the span of one week. Yeah. (laughs) Ready. We've all been sitting here. I have a diaper on. We we had them cryogenically frozen, only to be awakened again. (laughs) I took the world's longest pee break. (laughs) I've actually been passed out in the back of a truck full of crates. That's the other thing I love about that truck. Is like I'm not sure what it was transporting, except for like wooden crates. (laughs) He also he also doesn't. The driver in no way registers that a body has fallen from like one feet up. (laughs) (laughs) So we're here to talk about Graduation Day Part 2. Yeah, we already talked about one. We all gave it an A. Um, Remembering back to 10 minutes ago, we just did that. Um, We all gave it an A. It's been a week ago, Ian. I mean, a week ago. Um, That long. (laughs) Um... Yeah, Matthew, would you like to begin? This has a really short opening. This is like a really weirdly short opening, right? It's just Buffy climbing down the stairs. What I love about the opening is seeing that look of trauma on Mayor Wilkinson's face when he is like thinking about losing faith. Because it's, uh, once again, something the show's really good at. It's like right before he turns into a several stories tall demon, you see him at his most humanized, like his most humanized, his most human, like really feeling the loss of who he had thought of as, like, a surrogate daughter. Um, yeah. Yeah, we had just seen him say uh, to Faith in the previous episode that he doesn't like loose ends, right? Um, yeah. When she kills the volcanologist. And now we have, like, the loose end that basically unravels him, right? Is this uh, yep. surprising connection to Faith that comes out of nowhere at, like, in really the last days of his life, right? Um, well, well, it's I, always amazing to me how quickly they were able to build that relationship and make it so resonant. Like, if you really think about it, it's in the span of, like, maybe eight scenes across, like, however many episodes. Like, yeah. it's incredibly, like, effective. And I think that's, yeah. you know, it's a credit to the writing, but also I think it's a credit to the performances yes. of the two actors because, like, they really sell that. And once you get to this point, you're just like... Yeah, you don't feel bad for the mayor, but also just like the weight of that relationship like does affect you. Whedon is on record as saying that he, while he knew the structure of the season, he did not know this relationship would matter the way it did. That this sort of emerged in the telling, um, as as like a, a it's like the best thing about the season too for me. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are your what do you guys reads on the mayor like? Because I, I find him like one of the most fascinating characters the show has ever done. What do you mean? I mean, I, I just think... a... go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, just on a basic enjoyment level, he's easily the best big bad, and I feel like everybody sort of like ranks him at least near the top of the big bads. But I just feel like on he's so much fun to watch on just like a behavioral level because he's like <laughs> it's just it's it's an it's a really well drawn character that yet it's still an archetype he's the sort of like friendly congenial villain which is you know a total thing and a thing that i really enjoy um and then he's ultimately this sort of catalyst for this greater arc that i really love but yeah i think he's fantastic i think yes he 
So Glory is my favorite, but of course Glory is my favorite. Of course. Um, <laughs> but he's like a very close second, I think, in the ranking of Big Beds. I think because the two of them, I think, are both the only villains that are actually really interesting to watch off screen. And the trio kind of gets there where, like, you do... It's not, like, unenjoyable watching them, but, like, they don't come quite as close as the Mayor or Glory do. Like, the, I think the Mayor and Glory both are big bads that are oddly far removed from Buffy herself. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, how Glory doesn't know that Buffy has the key till like, halfway through the season. Um, I was struck rewatching how late they yeah. even meet. Like, Buffy and the mayor don't... He doesn't even see her until the box exchange, right? Yeah. When they're, they're trading the box of Gavrock. The, the first time like, she sees him is the episode you were on for, Anthony, is Gingerbread. That's the first time they're in the same room together. Right, and have no, they don't register yeah. each other at all, right? Um, even even when Buffy sort of, Buffy starts to know he's a problem when they kill the deputy mayor, but yeah. they don't meet until he's like, oh, she's prettier, she's prettier than I expected or something. A little skinny, he says yeah. to Angel. Um, but she's like just not, she's just a cog that he's dealing with. Um, I find him really, obviously he's fascinating to me because he's like, you know, this sort of like, as, as Joe was saying, this congenial, like, arch-patriarch. He literally builds this town for demons to feed on. He's, like, um, the sort of banality of evil in this weird way, where he's just, mm-hmm. like, his yeah. friendliness is part of the danger. Like, he just wants you to be polite, and he thrives in that politeness. But, like, just, like, the weird glimpses we get of his backstory, we never get... There's never a moment where we find out his motive, right? Like... Right. We don't have, like, we can sort of assemble his history, but why he's doing what he does, what order he does them in. Um, I was saying in the last episode, we see pretty early in this, we see him when he's about to choke Buffy. We see he still wears his wedding ring. Um, he talks about his wife in that same episode the where they do the box exchange. His wife, Edna May, who he, he married in Ot 3, I think he says, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he watches her go crazy um and like she goes senile and like curses him for his youth so he's immortal already when he marries her or somewhere in there i don't know but like he's weirdly a cipher we don't know why he does what he does which i find so compelling um yeah so i you know i think that he is the most layered big bad that the show has ever coughed up um i don't yeah so i've written a ranking of the buffy big bads for oh. the internet <laughs> <laughs> um, but the mayor was not my number one. I, I put number one as Angelus because he hits the right emotional notes for a big uh-huh. for a big bad. But I do think that um, he is, you know, outside of the group itself, you know, he's the most layered big bad. And when I think back to it, even though I ranked An- A- Angelus number one, when I think back on Buffy Big Bads, I actually think to the mayor because he represents all those things that Buffy is supposed to be about fighting, about these patriarchal things, these structures and whatnot. And then also um, when you get down to whether you're talking about character ticks that are nuanced or um, uh, just other things about him that are, that are, are at another level that other people never get. And that's actually, cause I think a lot of pe- I think glory is a fan favorite but I never feel like she rises to the level of the mayor because she doesn't seem to have as many complex layers. And that just comes from the, for me, the difficulty of rendering 
someone like a god as complex. I mean, we could talk about Thor Ragnarok, but we won't right. do it. <laughs> but like, it's really hard to make a god-like character super complex. And so the idea of like a human who wants to become pure, become a demon, who's obviously struck some devil with, I mean, some like uh, deal with some demon or devil at some point to like live this long um, is a really compelling idea for the series because, I mean, it just is. I'm not even going to go into yeah. it. It's, it's just <laughs> even just the way there's a scene very early in the season where he opens that like um, wardrobe full of like his weird demon stuff, you know, the like skulls <laughs> yeah. and like books. And he like pulls out a wet nap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to me, well, it's, that it's, says it's, everything about him because he he's struck all these deals like this, whatever, incredibly comp. He's constantly like. He feeds those babies to the the sewer monster. He like has to eat those spiders, but it's like it's never the goal. Like he's not. They sometimes call him a sorcerer, but he's not interested in the sorcery. He's interested in his final. This like I talked about this on the last one. His like obsession with purity and of being clean of this like the humanness, which is why well, his relationship with faith is so fascinating, right? It's like this last like bubble of humanness is what undoes him. It also reminds me a little bit of that episode in season two with the people who worship the vampires and want to become them. And it feels like he's kind of like the ultimate step of that. Like someone who is a human who has become so obsessed with demons that he wants to be feel worthy enough to achieve demonness and not only be a demon, but be the highest form ascend to a pure demon form. Um, and so it's kind of that idea that Buffy's already dealt with, with lie to me, um, like brought to another degree. Right. And well, as I'm... you guys mentioned, it also picks up in Angel, right? Where it becomes like almost a racialized, yeah. like we have, what are they called? The, like the neo-Nazi demons in it's season one of Angel? The Scourge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm proud of myself for remembering that. <laughs> God, I was going to say good recall. Jesus. <laughs> I was, so much so, Thor Ragnarok talking. Wait, I, I want you to know why I remembered that. I just realized the reason I remembered that, I was organizing my graphic novels slash comics while watching these episodes. Um, and and uh, I found one of my old Dark Horse Buffy comics that weren't like canon, because now they're all canon, like seasons 8, 9, 10, and 11. The ones that were like trying to fit in between. And there's a right. there's a, one that I like skimmed through today that was like all about it takes place between season six and seven where like Adam reemerges and he has the scourge working for him and they like oh, take over Sunnydale. Sense. Yeah, and they like take over Sunnydale and like Anya has to be in her Anyanka form for them to let her exist with the demons and she like serves food to the human slaves and Angel and Faith come in and like and Pike is in it from the movie. It's really weird. And them and wow. Buffy save the day. Yeah. So that was my side note about how I remembered who the Scourge was. <laughs> well, it's like Angel picks up a lot of, like, actually it's like a few episodes ago where there was that book, that demon selling the books of Ascension. Yeah. And like, um, that's a weird, like, signpost on the way to Faith becoming evil where she's like willing to kill that demon. Yeah. And yeah. the way it buys it is by making him so human, right? Like, we're weirdly prepared for all of this. Um, what will become a major strand of Angel, and which I start to get the sense was maybe a David Greenwalt obsession more than maybe it was a Whedon obsession, where it's like, what is the line between a demon and a person is like an interested question yeah. in the mythology of this show. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, and I, I think that's like one of the few things Angel does better. 
Yeah, well, Buffy, I don't know. I don't know. But is that? Hmm. <laughs> I don't well, know Adam if you're is right, like Ian. A weird... <laughs> no. <laughs> I immediately want to think about Adam. Like, what is, why is Adam the next big bad, right? Like, right. this, like, weird composite thing. I guess season four becomes about the evilness of humans, right? Like, Maggie, Maggie Walsh. Yeah. The, you have to think of season four knowing that, like, Adam wasn't really supposed to be like Adams exists, but like the big bad of that structurally is Maggie is Maggie Walsh because that's like, it's the, that sort of like malevolent authority. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think that season four, um, <laughs> oh, you got I love started. <laughs> yeah, I know. I also think that season four is not interested in a big bad arc the way that season three really is interested in like an epic. Like, I mean, when people talk about season three and maybe like season five, I think the words epic come to mind, but yeah. season four is super quiet and it really doesn't want a huge epic, uh, yarn to weave it really just wants these like quiet little stories about the gang and how they're adjusting to becoming adults and being in college and shit like that right so it sort of self-consciously ends on that down note with restless right like right and so going from the mayor to adam i mean it's you really need a big bad who's kind of easy to get out of the way because Uh it's not really about you. Like we have to look at Adam and be like, listen, girl, it's not about you right now. <laughs> Willow has to come out. There's some shit to happen. Yeah. It's you're really ancillary at this point, as opposed to, I mean, it's funny. We talk about the big bad and it, we go to the mayor, but we also have to talk about the fact that like, I mean, we had a huge conversation about this fight with faith. Like we're also talking about all the weight of the faith arc, right. Yeah. When we talk about season three. Yeah. And, um, I mean, yeah, so it's not only the mayor, it's also like the mayor plus faith. And so this this season was obsessed with its big bads. And then the season four is really more about the group and the group dynamics because, yeah. I mean, and that's how they defeat the season four big bad is just by loving each other. So <laughs> right. you're, you're totally right about season four. And I absolutely like co-sign all of that. But season four, it's always funny to talk to when like the people, the powers that be sort of talk about season four and because it's so contentious and divisive and you talk about how sort of scattershot it was and how uh it never it didn't hang together as well as other seasons and there's always this just like yeah but like isn't that just like life and i always find that like to be such like a a uh sort of like a cop-out i guess we're just like when people sort of criticize like art in a way that's just like man that didn't really work for me and it's just like yeah but like isn't that life how oh, it's just sort of like <laughs> oh my it's not always satisfying and it's just like yeah okay well, well like, i think i mean okay we can go back to season three but the last thing i want to say is that i think that like if you talk about season when you talk about season three people think about the whole thing when you talk about season four there's a lot of like memorable episodes like hush course, that are like yeah. some of the most iconic in the buffy verse yeah mm-hmm. so it's just a different it's just a different way of storytelling season really. six, yeah. same way yeah. i was just about to say i think of season six and four a lot of this in the same way where like Absolutely. they have some of my favorite standalones but they're not yeah. my favorite season per se but like i still love the, i don't know yeah anyway back to season three <laughs> <laughs> um so this episode so we have to, they have to wrap up we were talking about last time they have to quickly wrap up the angel is sick and oh boy are they just like let's do this <laughs> yeah right yeah and it's not something that's sustained like as soon as you start thinking about it, it immediately falls apart like Faith just happened to choose a poison that happens to require a slayer's blood to yeah. cure it, right? Like, <laughs> the less time you spend thinking about it, I think, the better. Um, yeah. 
yeah, you don't like notice that when, when you're watching happening. it. I'm my eyes are bulging. I'm glued to it, <laughs> and then like yeah, when I was like looking over my notes after I wrote them while watching it, I was like, wait a minute. But what about wait a minute? What like <laughs> like, like why? was the idea to like keep Buffy distracted for as long as possible, but like not to yeah. kill him quick, but to kill him slow, so that like she wouldn't be able to. It just like, feels like she should fight him. Immediately... I think in the mayor's plan, the idea was, was that like yeah. Angel would get sick and Buffy would like Florence Nightingale it for a few days and right. like not pay attention to his ascension. Right. Because okay. it just... which is which goes to his thing from the box of Gavrock thing too, right? Like he immediately clocks their relationship as diseased, as like hopeless because he's lived. He has also been an immortal in love with a mortal, right? And yeah. so like he knows that's where to put the hammer. I yeah. think. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, It just feels like Buffy should have either immediately been like, you know what, fine, just feed off me. Let's wrap this up. Like, right. <laughs> I, what is the point of this, like, as a, as a story beat? Why do we have to have this moment? Because it is the first, the only time this happens, right, where Angel feeds on Buffy. This never happened before. Correct. Did right. it? Well, I think, see, I, I'm not going to hate on this plot as much. I really like the Slayer's Blood thing. I think that the p- idea was that, like, Buffy was like, yeah, like, Angel can always feed on me as a backup, but this is a really good time to kill two birds with one <laughs> stone. Like, save my undead Literally lover and kill Faith. Yeah. Um, and that's why she goes to do that, because she doesn't want to, like, have all of her blood drained out of her. Well, and because- she also just really wants to kill Faith. <laughs> Like, right. She wants to kill. Fa- well, really, she wants to fight, fight, fuck Faith. Yeah. Right. Well, yes, that's yes, that's another <laughs> yeah. way to put it. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but yeah, I mean, we we were talking a little bit before we started the episode, but I mean, the feeding scene is the most sexual scene you see of Buffy and Angel. Yeah. Because the first sex scene is really like a you know a moment like oh she's losing it and it's like you know they just show the small of his back with the tattoo on it. Now it's like you see her O face. Yeah, like she crushes everything. that vase and then she kicks over that table. table right? oh, it's yeah. so funny. And then it all goes into like sensory deprivation. Like, yeah, I think, I mean, it's all done really well. Like, I think all of that is so, and like, you know, I mean, she's wearing the fucking red pants. They're laying on yes. the ground. She's biting her. She kicks over the fucking table. It's all so Buffy. Um, and I love all of it. And, you know, I've talked about this before how weird it is that Buffy in her red pants and black top is like her most iconic. Like that's what I've been using. That figure is the figure I've been using for the cover of all season three, but she only wears it for like half of the only, she only wears it from the start of her fight with faith until she's in the hospital. Yeah. But yeah. it was it was the picture on all the promo stuff. I yeah. think that's yeah. why it became. And actually, I said on the last podcast, like it's also the picture on the the season three video cassettes that I had. <laughs> it's <laughs> also the picture on the cover of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Xbox video game. That's yes. right. Yeah. yeah. So I said I was. So I had that same box set, Ian, that you were talking about. <laughs> um, and I had it. It was like my prized possession. So it was like on top of my video rack with like. <laughs> socks behind it so it wouldn't scratch against oh my God, the I video. Oh, wow. Uh, and 
<laughs> now this is where this gets horrible. So uh-huh. our my grandmother was living with us, and uh, she like most Portuguese women was was like an obsessive clean freak. So she'd constantly clean my room, and like she knew to be very careful with this. And I only found out after she died that until the day she died, she thought that was my porn collection. <gasps> what? <laughs> <laughs> So Buffy, <laughs> so Buffy was like my porn to my grandmother, which at least at least she went thinking I was straight. But damn. <laughs> Anthony, that's so, so after after the sex scene um, when they go to the hospital, I'm always kind of. Uh, amazed that the mayor of a small town walks into the hospital to choke someone and <laughs> just like really and everyone's choked. cool with it. Yeah. Like the nurse yeah. is like, no, and then that's it. Like, no like oh, amazing shit, thing Wilkins is trying to kill a high schooler. A high schooler, yeah. <laughs> like no and all, like there should someone should have been like, oh, there's a story here. There's some I was gonna say some out. gossip columnist at the very least should have been all over that. Rita Skeeter. Guess who was Rita uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, he does the thing where he like laughs it off. Like you see him be charming, and yeah. it's like, oh, that's how you did this for a hundred years, right? Like, yeah. it's like everything's fine. Like he says, I don't even remember. Someone's been eating their Wheaties, right? Yeah, spinach. Like, yeah. You see how his like oiliness? It's weird because this thing happens in this episode where it's like, is the like the sweet dude a mask? Is that really his person? Like the last thing he says as a demon is, well, gosh. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. is that who he actually is? Or was that like a mask he puts on? It's like never again, like the opacity of him as a character fascinates me. That's true. Cause he, he says like the show's not over. There'll be a, sh- I'm, I have a script up. The show's not over. There'll be a short intermission. Don't want to miss a second act. All kinds of excitement. And, like, all kinds of excitement is I'm going to eat the entire fucking town. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but so I wanted to mention, so the beginning, before we get to that part, Cordelia comes in, and that's when, isn't that when she yells at them for not telling them about yes. what happened? And I really... He very expediently demands a recap of the previous episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciate that because I think that, like lends itself to me and Matthew always saying how Cordelia understands the rules and she helps them willingly. Like, she's literally going in there to be like, just tell me what's going on. Like, she at first phrases it like, why is Wesley upset? And then she's, Mm -hmm. like, exhausted and is like, just tell me what's going on. And, like, she wants to know. She wants to be a part of it. She wants to, you know, be in the group. And she chooses to help them. And, I mean, then Xander yells at her and is like, we're trying to stop an ascension. Come help us. And she makes the hilarious comment... Just like Buffy, always thinking about herself, and sits down and helps them do research. <laughs> um, and then right before Buffy walks into Angel's house, we get the scene of Angel mistaking Willow for Buffy. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And I needed to, in keeping with, well, we didn't do it for season two, but... Um, so then when Willow goes out to kiss Oz, she says, he thought I was Buffy. He goes, oh, you too? Let me tell you all, <laughs> I read a fan fiction about that, and I still remember it. I, I That's... <laughs> If ever there was a setup for fan fiction explicit in an episode, it was that. Yeah. Right. Um, Angel and Oz just having like one of those <laughs> hospital humps. Like, you know how happens in hospitals. <laughs> yeah, you know. With his like angry, like separating wound on his shoulder. <laughs> it's so gross, too. Um, so, what about when uh, Xander and Angel have their like last confrontation? 
uh, in the hospital where Xander basically yells at him for feeding on Buffy. Well, you know, you'll always save your own skin, right? That's it's when the well, she says save your own ass. It's right. He's un- honestly the pettiest person. Yes, like, he is. But I, it's interesting because they have had so many back and forths, and this is really the last time the show is going to give them. them. Yeah. They have the tiny little old bickering old lady moment when Xander's the key later in the episode, but it's like the last time that Xander actually acts petty with Angel because, as is the theme of graduation, you have to like just kill off old, you know, rivalries and just like we all have to band together to get the mayor or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's like the last time where Xander gets to like feel superior to Angel. I wondered if rewatching it when he Xander is the one that tells Buffy that he survived, and I wonder if there's an unshared. He's like, I know he made it. I don't know if he took off. And Brendan's line reading is ambiguous enough that I wasn't sure if that is also a petty moment where he's like, oh, maybe he just left. You know? Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's it's not cute. Their relationship is never, and I do kind of like yeah. that it ends on this note of like bad blood. Like it's just they will never see eye to eye. Um, poor Angel is given another thing to feel guilty about because because we, we get him and Cordelia being friends. Like that's they are friends by this episode. They are okay, and he almost one could argue that he didn't deserve her forgiveness. Um, but you know we wrap that up, but we don't ever wrap up the Angel. He just never liked him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm because also I'm a little torn because I think if I like I feel I get the impression the whole group's a little mad at him. Giles even sounds a little like Ugh, when he's well. Like, Giles yeah. never never fully got back on board with Angel, and I always no. sort of liked that uh, them holding to that. We're like. If anybody, like, I, the difference between Giles holding a grudge and Xander holding the grudge is, like, Giles has all the reasons to, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, it's funny, well, Giles has all the reasons to, but he's also the best at putting on a poker face and doing his job. Yes, exactly. And then Xander is just petty because he wanted to mess with Buffy, and but then goes so overboard on it, on yeah. it all the time. Uh, it also ends in such a way that when he comes back, there's still... Like when he comes back for the Thanksgiving episode, there's there's still enough tension in the air that it, the show gets some juice out of it, right? Like, but then but then it's really funny because in the Thanksgiving episode, uh, Xander's the one who says that Angel was there, and he's so happy. He's like, "Yeah, just like old times, Angel was here." <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so let's also talk about this Buffy and Faith dream because there's a lot. Here. Yes, wait, I, I love have- it. So much to say, but continue, Matthew. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you while you were talking. Well, do any of our, do, uh, Joe or Anthony, do you have anything you want to say about the dream? Um, a lot, yeah. <laughs> I really like Whedon's dream sequences Me because too. I think that they're um, overwritten in like a really pleasurable way. Like every line is doing six different things, which I really yeah. enjoy. And uh, this is very specifically proto-restless. Like the, the style yes. of this dream is very much so- what, he was going for with ended up going for with restless, yeah. which is we're going to make it an aesthetic thing, but we're also going to sneak in like as many little yeah. Easter eggs, and cryptic hints and whatever. So, and, so much so that I often forget this scene isn't from restless. Right. right. Like when I think about this scene, I sometimes think <laughs> about it as part of restless and she's not, I also get this confused with the dream sequence she has in the year's girl. Yeah. Right. Where, where, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 The where Bucky's kind of the aggressor coming yeah. after. So, Faith. Okay, so my big question that I cannot decide, do we think 
it was all in Buffy's head and it was just the powers that be talking to Buffy and helping her? Or do we think it was genuinely both of them in Buffy's dream? I think it's important that this is Faith's real last grace note. Um, So I do think it's important that this is Faith relaying... Because she ends, as much as that last sort of fuck you, as Joe was saying in the last episode, like, the sort of, like, two-finger salute as she goes, she swan dives off into the garbage truck. Um, As much as that's, like, pleasurable, I do think that so much of the energy of this season is her acting out because she doesn't have a father figure, et cetera, et cetera, like, the weird, like, anti-Giles thing that the, the mayor is doing. I think, ultimately, Faith is not, like, She's not, like, an apocalyptic evil. She doesn't want right. the world to end. Right. Um, and also, I think that it's important that it's Faith because they have that exchange where she's, like, um, they're talking about the cat, right? Like, yeah. it's a she. And the cat, you guys were just talking about how Faith is Catwoman, right? The, <laughs> the cat is Faith. And um, she's, I think Faith says, uh, aren't these things supposed to take care of themselves? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Buffy says, a higher power guiding us. And Faith says, pretty sure that's not what I meant, right? Like, Buffy's read of that line is that, like, everything will work out. And Faith's is, you have to watch out for yourself. And I don't think that can be uh, just a higher power. This is actually Faith giving Buffy, doing something heroic, as much as that has to be undone by this year's girl. Yes, that's what I was going to say. That's that's my point of, like, well, maybe it wasn't her because it is so undone in this year's girl. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, for me... And, you know, I hate to say this. <laughs> it hurts my heart to say this. It feels almost like, ugh, like, what what were they doing with Faith that they would have her... It feels like a weird hiccup that they wouldn't normally have on the show, character-wise. See, I don't think it does. I think that the the whole scene is like, okay, so if we're extending the metaphor, and they're, like, in this really tumultuous relationship, and they finally done the deed and like fought to the death and blah, blah, blah. I kind of feel it's like, you know, when you break up with someone and then like two years later you slip into their DMs and you're like, I'm sorry, like you were right the whole time and I just want (laughs) the best for you and you can finally have that resolution. I feel like this is Faith like having that resolution because she's in a coma and she's maybe even there's like a higher plane metaphor here where she's like actually warning Buffy and she's like, listen, like you're the good slayer. Like I want you to do what you have to do type thing. Yeah. Go Go ahead. I was just to say, there is a key difference, I feel like, too, and you, I think you mentioned it a little bit. Like, this feels like astral plane, shared consciousness, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Slayer power. Like, because Slayer's, like, dreams have always been part of the Slayer myth from, like, the very beginning. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. it doesn't feel like a retcon or anything like that. Um, but this feels like that, like a shared consciousness, like a purposeful astral projection, whatever you want to call it. Whereas in this year's Girl, that the distinction in that that is faith's dream faith's subconscious it's all very freudian it's all very like that to me makes sense whereas like what's going on in faith's own head when there's no higher calling to be a slayer when like buffy's not involved and whatever is just pure uh freudian torment and then when she wakes up like and it, it's also a little bit of the difference between like your waking self, where it's that enlightened thing, where like all right. of the voiceovers and enlightened are Amy Jellico at her best self, and then yeah. everything in the real world is is sort of tainted by the imperfections of being a human person. Also, um, like at a structural level, this year's girl 
opens with her very disoriented. And it's only the tape from the mayor that sends her to her worst self again, right? Like, yeah. <clears throat> she's she wakes up with that terrible dream of Buffy attacking her, but... Um, she doesn't like, again, like, it's not like she tries to end the world. She just like steals Buffy's body and is almost immediately. Oh, actually, now that I think about it, that is also a two parter, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, we want to do the same thing for those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like, she doesn't like try to, like, it's hard to imagine. I know counterfactuals are pointless, but it's hard to imagine <laughs> Faith, Faith in her Ascension dress, like, really enjoying watching a crowd be slaughtered, you know? Like, right. Yeah. I, right. I think that Faith... So, I guess it just bothers me because... I mean, you're right. She does wake up disoriented. It's not like she wakes up trying to... Whatever. Um, and I guess the mayor from... The video from the mayor. But she kills that demon that delivers the video to her. She, like, wakes up immediately seeming to have regressed. But I guess mm-hmm. I... Was it you, Joe, that just said that the higher plane thing? I guess I can buy that. Um, she also has knowledge that she doesn't have, right? Like, she's... Oh, you know, yeah. What I do like about this, um, as opposed to something like Lost, is like the writers clearly know Dawn is coming. It's like <laughs> yeah, a very yeah. specific, rev- like the counting down, the Seven Little Miss Muffet yeah. theme. Is this the first occurrence of the Little Miss Muffet yeah. theme? Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is. Well, this is what I, I wanted to talk about that specifically because do we have we heard from Joss? Like, has he spoken specifically about how much he knew at this point? Because the yeah, seven three zero thing is it's not just Dawn's arrival because 730 is two years and it's two years from the end of season three, which is like it's two years from Buffy dying is what it's counting down. So um, on the featurettes for season three. Oh, I love when you do this, Matthew. (laughs) And when you will know if you watch this episode with director's commentary and on the featurettes, Joss says that they are alluding to Dawn because then the callback is in real me. The crazy person is like looking at Dawn and he says curds and whey to her. Yes. Um, so restless. it is it is referencing Dawn, and then yeah, seven three zero is about her death. So like Faith already knows about Dawn leading to Buffy's death. Right. Right. Why Why is Little Miss Muffet? Can someone explain like what it is in the Little Miss Muffet like nursery rhyme that invokes Dawn? Like she curds and whey, and there's a spider. Is Glory the spider? Like what? Where does anyone have any read on this? I like, am looking up the lyrics right now. <laughs> Little Miss well, Muffet I mean, sat on her teapot, eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. Like, what in that? Is it just like, is it just a, like a metonymy? Like, they just put those ideas together and it just happens to be Dawn? Like, I don't see anything in that story. I almost that- feel like it's it could be just as simple as like, what's a very faith way of referring to a little girl? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's where true. it's just sort of like little miss Muffet feels like a very faith kind of like locution where it's just sort of like, Oh, I'm going to like, I'm going to yeah. give her a nickname. Like I give B a nickname, like that kind of thing. And, yeah. and then from there, then when you're writing real me, it's just like, okay, well we need to refer to little miss Muffet. And also, so- I, Anthony, I love that you were like, no, Ian, I know the whole thing. Because <laughs> like, I thought, <laughs> in my brain, I was like, oh, there's probably like a longer part to it. It's probably not just the little rhymey thing. I but no, that's it. That. <laughs> no, no, no. Although now that I think about it, Glory, when she's in her rant, says she that says it, yes. Little Miss Muffet needs to sit on her tuffet. And yeah. st- so it's like, the yeah. tuff is, I don't know what a tuffet is, but <laughs> is that the gate opening? I don't know. Anyway, there's work to be the done. Tuffet is a thick, it's a it's a thicket of grass. Oh, okay. She's just sitting in the grass. Come on, Wikipedia. <laughs> no, I. Um, 
But wait, there was something else I had to say about this, but I forgot it. But who cares? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I I mean, I, I think this is when... I mean, this is just me saying I think this. This isn't... I, I f- it feels like this is when Joss was like, oh, wait, I can do these dreams really fucking well. And, like, yeah. I feel like this was... Lots of times I feel like on Buffy, there's a precursor to something that's the better version of it. Um, and I think that this you know, s- short scene of her and Faith is a precursor to Restless. Like, I think he was like, oh, shit, I can right. do this really well. Why don't we make a whole episode of this? And, you know, yeah. Restless is one of my favorite episodes. The um, prom has that great dream, that scene where Angel's dreaming, and uh, he's like, they're getting married. Yeah. Buffy looks great in that dress. She does. And, then, like, <laughs> <laughs> and then she bursts into flames, which is yeah. amazing. Um, I also like that Faith is the avenue by which we start learning about Dawn because Faith and Buffy are doing this like sister thing yep. uh, explicitly yeah. a lot. Like Faith, even in this, calls, or is it just before, bit you're in big sister's clothes? Like yeah. Yeah. Faith is thinking about their relationship as a sibling one in a way that obviously Kendra never was. Like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's why she worked better than Kendra. I think they didn't do enough with Kendra for us to for a lot of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um I know you guys do the question like what would Dawn be doing in this episode a lot? Um I'm really fascinated in what Dawn imagining like the version of reality that has Dawn in it. Like what was Dawn's relationship to Faith like? I think is actually a really interesting question. Um we have like, talked about this with a few guests, and everyone kind of like goes back and forth whether they think yeah. she would have idolized Faith or like really hated Faith. Uh huh. I yeah. go back and I, forth too. Yeah, because I think that um, you know she Dawn really doesn't care that Buffy's the Slayer. She thinks that it's actually like something that takes attention away from her, uh-huh. and um, kind of feels disinherited from her mother's attention because of <laughs> because of the Slayerdom. So on that sense, you would be like, oh, you know, another Slayer, Dawn's probably like, oh, God, now there's two of them. Now no one's going to listen to anything I say. But, but I, I also, also feel think, like... Well, I, was gonna, I also feel like on some level, <laughs> Faith is, to, an, to an 11 or 12 or 13-year-old is objectively cool. Right. And <laughs> um, would also probably mesmerize Dawn in a way that Faith is just inherently mesmerizing. And because a lot of the early faith buffy stuff was there was a little bit of faith that wanted to sort of poke at buffy's insecurities and i think faith would have made an effort to get dawn to like her if yeah. only yeah. if only to like get like get buffy's goat a little bit well, there, there's yeah. another there's another version of this story that goes a little bit deeper into what buffy um makes a casual reference to in faith hope and trick is the single white femaleness of it all. Yes. There's uh-huh. another version of the story where Faith just like weasels her way into Buffy's life and somehow get ends up painting Buffy as the villain, right? Yeah. Well, like, I mean, right. that's basically like this year's girl, who are you? Is they switch yeah. bodies. Right. And Faith like gets to sort of like see what it's like. She goes back, she goes back to, you know, her home and is around Joyce and all of that. And of course, she can't help but creep everybody out. But right. still. Yeah. I'm remembering, am I misremembering that there's like a lot of hostility from Dawn when Faith shows up in season yes. seven? You are yeah, not, yeah because that's she correct. says like, yeah. oh look, little girl's all grown up or whatever, and like Faith, I mean Dawn is really unhappy to see Faith. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, but I feel like that is a betrayal. Like I think that I think that Dawn would have been very pro-Faith. But, and then, but let me say this. And that this. would have felt very, very like, yeah. 
Let me say this, though. I think at this point... Okay, this is going to get real, like, looper timeline-y. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, Dawn would have been on Faith's side. I think that Dawn only hates Faith because of the events of this year's Girl and Who Are You when she's in her home and, like, tries to kill her hmm. mom. Oh, okay. I could buy that. So I think that's what Dawn is mad at Faith about because Faith... I mean, Dawn is obviously really fiercely protective of the memory of her mother. And Dawn remembers, like, um, the the conflict that she has with Joyce in This Year's Girl and Who Are You? But at this point in the timeline, she would have been fine with her. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That would have have been an uglier episode with a child hostage in it. Yeah. 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 And you probably figure, like, you can extrapolate, like, how Faith behaved towards Joyce probably extended towards behaving towards Dawn, too. She probably was, like, would have been shitty to or scary yeah. to dawn well, as well because the two things are is that faith was ended up being shitty and scary to joyce but at the beginning faith really liked joyce and then you know joyce brought her over for christmas the christmas episode so <laughs> during amends when when faith came over for christmas faith would have spent all that christmas drinking eggnog with joyce and dawn like yeah. she would have brought her a present the same way right. she, brought she would have been there for dawn's christmas yeah that's true yeah um so so, so my, I love that you guys do this, by the way. I'm so incredibly like it's my favorite thing that like because I feel like I, I feel like I take a little bit of credit for that and starting you guys down that road because I feel like we talked about that in the Becoming episodes, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or yeah. at some point in one of the or maybe Prophecy yeah. Girl or something like that. Like I, I feel like I remember like anyway. It's, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it's a beat the show is interested in too. Like I, when I was rewatching this block of episodes it was weird to me to see the um, Doppelgangland episode that the way Anya accesses the alternate reality, it's not a parallel reality. She travels back in time. Yeah. Like, it's that for a while, time was different, right? Like, that's a yeah. weird thing the show does. In the same way that this Dawn thing is like, they're not real memories. They're just sort of like overlapping on top of their memories, but they just have decided in this like very philosophically fascinating way. Their fake memories are real to them, and they yeah. just decided to lean into that. Well, but so uh, that's what I always want. <laughs> now that we're gonna go off <laughs> metaphysics, um, <yeah. laughs> I, so that's what always that's like a thing that like not that bothers me at all because I love all Vampire Willow alternate universe shit. I love that kind of like plot device for any kind of supernatural sci-fi shows, yeah. but. They send Willow back, and her timeline still exists. They send Vampire Willow back. So, yeah, like, yeah. then it does become a parallel universe, right? Like, they do go back in time, but then it also becomes a parallel universe, right? Yeah. Well, what what I love about the Dawn thing as, like, a creepy part of it is, like, how easy it is to remove the spell. Like, you can see past the layer that is Dawn's entire personal history very easily on the show. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that episode where they're <laughs> blipping in and out of it, like... Dawn's and like the fact that anybody who's slightly mentally askew immediately perceives something is wrong. I love that, that she's just sort of like, she lives fully aware of the knowledge that her entire existence is a fiction. I find that fascinating and like underexplored in the show's history. I always wish that in season five, when if, of Angel, when they do the whole like Connor erased memory thing, I really wish they would have addressed Dawn because there's like a couple times and they're like, who? Um, yeah. <laughs> and Cordelia gets mad that Wesley doesn't know who Connor is. I wish there would have been some kind of thing like that with Dawn. Um, but right. yeah. did, did the comic so, books or anything ever try and do like a Dawn Connor like thing? Like a no, because Dawn in the comic books gets strange AF. Yeah, but they did. <laughs> 
Is she so, like a horse at one point? Am I remembering that? She's a centaur, that? centaur and a giant. No giant. Sure, yeah. The comics, I think, have gotten good, but they do give Connor a good redemption arc. Um, there's like a really That's good... Nice. Yeah. Anyway, so back to this episode. So, <laughs> yeah. So Back to this television show that is different this, than the other And um, I love that Buffy just like has the plan down pat. Yes, and this is... Um, this is the first time we get this really big, oh, we have this whole plan, everyone's in on it, we're going to do this thing, but you're not going to learn about it. Like, I feel like, I don't know that it was done better, I would say it was done just as well, um, but I, this almost feels like a precursor to Chosen. Mm. Well, it rem- it honestly reminds me of, like, when you would watch episodes of I Love Lucy, and Lucy and Ethel would hatch a plan, but the scene would cut <laughs> away without telling you what's happening. And right. it wasn't until the ruse was happening that you knew what was up. Well, we got a version of this a few episodes ago where they, Angel pretended to be Angelus, right. and yeah. the audience doesn't find out until Faith does that they've been acting right. And the 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 shot does that silly slow motion thing where it's like we see. <laughs> I talked about that at length on the episode of the podcast. <laughs> because I like Cause I, I, I buy it. I buy it. Matthew doesn't. I like hate it. the slow motion pan so much. It it's not a real slow motion. I think that's why it looks so upsetting. Is like it's clearly a normal shot that is slowed down in post, and it like yeah. gets very fuzzy looking. It's like they yeah. they they needed the audience to register the moment in a weird way. But like it's that same trick. Um, it also does the thing that happens in a few episodes where Buffy has a near death experience, and then she wakes up and suddenly has this like new idea. Right, like her energy has changed after Angel fed on her. In some and after the ma- yeah, because after she died at the hands of the master, she came back and was like, "Oh, I'm stronger now, and the master does not scare me." Yeah, I don't really understand. Like, this is why I was so interested in the like angel bite thing. We're supposed to read that as significant in some way. Like when Dracula sees her scar and is like, "He was unworthy." Like, I guess in some ways it's just a wrap of that very Victorian. Like, if you have a vampire in a story, he has to bite the lover. right. 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 So I guess that's why we have to have it. But she acts weird to Angel for the rest of the episode, right? Like in well, that I library. Think, you know, on this show, we've talked about it before on the podcast that like biting is this metaphor for sex. And um, when we see the master bite her, it's supposed to be this non consensual thing. Like he's really um, violating her in that mm-hmm. way. And it has to do with this weird like slayer vampire, especially slayer powerful vampire relationship. And so right. when, like, it's interesting that this is the second time we see Buffy being fed on, and she's totally consenting to it and totally getting off on it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's why she's weird within the rest of the episodes. It's almost like, we are exes who decided to be friends, and we just had awkward sex that didn't end well for either of us. You know, the gang, the Scoobies are mad at Angel, Buffy was put in the hospital because of it, but it was consensual, but like, maybe it wasn't our best idea, so now we're yeah. a little bit awkward. I think that's right. I think it's like it's supposed to put a tremor so that we don't sense their relationship has a nice bow on it as it goes yeah. off into the spin-off, right? Like yeah. even the last time we hear the melody, the melody is I don't know music theory, but <laughs> it's weirdly dissonant. It's like weirdly like minor key or something. Something's off about it when we hear it. Um I think that's right. Um, that must be what it is. Yeah, um so I really love but I love the scene in the library. You know, it's our last big scene in the library. Um, and, and also what I forgot, we forgot to talk about how in the last episode, how they, like, they snuck in that weird meta joke where Xander's like, good thing no one wants to check any of these books out of the library, right? (laughs) 
and Giles is like almost annoyed at him for making the comment, even <laughs> though like it's true. Well, uh, I was thinking about it this time because when Buffy does run into the library, which I don't think I'd ever really registered before, all the books are gone. Yeah. Like, yeah, the collection has been cleared out. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, it's weird rewatching the show now that we're in. This show was airing at the last moment. You could really even have anything like this. Like, even when the mayor comes in in the part one where he's like, it's nice to see kids who are still interested in reading. Like, the show mm-hmm. is interested in the materiality of, I mean, this is, my PhD is coming out, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like this, like, material love of the physical object of books is, like, a yeah. weird obsession of the show. Like, even the demon that sells them the has it, of yeah. obsession. Um, yeah, he's like talks about the smell of books. The demon is like talking about. It's a joke that uh, Whedon reuses in Avengers, where he talks about the slight foxing of the book. Like, <laughs> um, it's like the last. The show happened. You watch the internet emerge on the show yes. as like a thing that it is a thing. Um, and this is the last time you can have a scene of characters in a library, really. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I know that we all know this, but I feel like it's appropriate to say and it was the first show to use the word google right that like (laughs) you know and it's like xander makes a joke that feels so dated when he's Mm. like oh she's a teen girl and it's like oh that's such a dad joke but it probably made like it definitely made sense back then for someone to make a joke about that because like people didn't say that all the time um yeah yeah but i Um, just i love this scene in life like i love so (laughs) this finale does everything i want in the final act of everything ever, um, where it's, there's a big plan, all the main characters are coming together, and then they're coming together to get every character together. And for mm-hmm. me, that's all I ever want. Like, have you all seen Big Fish, the Ewan McGregor movie? Yes. Yes, it's, a long time ago. It is such sentimental bullshit, but I love it. And I love the end, because the end is the story of the father, and the father's dying, and the very end is him dying, and it's every single character is there for his death. And shit, what's that? Right. There's that Italian film, um, is it Eight and a Half? Nine? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where, like, at the very end, like, all the characters are dancing. Like, every character is there, and they're all dancing together. Um, and, like, that's all I ever want. And for me, this is, like, perfectly does it, where it shows, it gives us one last scene of all of them meeting in the library, all the Scoobies. And they're meeting in the library to get everyone together, to gather everyone to go into fucking battle together. And we don't know, like, as a viewer, first-time viewer, you don't know why they're going into battle or why they're, the Avengers are assembling, so to speak. <laughs> um, but, like, uh, I think it works so well, and I love... I, I don't know, I think that even the cinematography in these episodes is, like, really well done. There's a real great hero shot in the final fight where, like, the the vampires are running away and then you yeah. see Angel and the crowd and it's like the swell of music as they yep. head into and fighting. All, I love that. <laughs> it all great. sells me on it. Like all of it sells me on it. Um and also I wanted to point out Cordelia Chase's arms, she is looking good. Those arms look like yeah. they could like punch me out. <laughs> they had to put her in that weird little sweater thing for the finale to make her look like Right, I was thinking you know, that. Dainty little like unlikely to st- to stake a vampire girl. Even though like just the scene before it we saw that she's jacked as fuck. Like, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I love that um, we were talking about how these two parts are clearly like related and chiming with each other. The first line of part one, we hear a complain that they're not in teal. And then when we see her fighting, she's in oh. teal. Like she's <laughs> she's worn teal under her maroon dress, which I really like. <laughs> um, also, um, I appreciate them having their first kiss and it just being really awkward. Really bad. Yeah, that's a great beat. Um, I think both of them are so good. They they both play that scene so well. Of uh, both of them, like the way they're like, it's like gross, and they're just like groping at each other and like awkward. <laughs> and it feels like Cordelia should be way better at this. Um, yeah. And then they just like stop kissing, lean their foreheads together, and they both are like, "Well, that didn't work." Like they both know, and you like read it on their faces. Right. Um, and I like I, that. It's, the show's only real not at, like, some people just don't have physical chemistry, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she's like, that'd be neat when he says he'll drop her a line. And, like, that's neat. it. Yeah. They're done. <laughs> uh, apparently, Wesley, there was, we didn't really, uh, he gave Denisoff a choice about whether he wanted Wesley to survive this episode or not. Oh, really? Um, yeah, which tells you, like, something about how sort of, like, shambolic the structuring of Angel season one was that, like, he asked him if he wanted him to die heroically or just, like, immediately fall on his ass. And <laughs> Dennis thought it would be funnier if he just fell on his ass. Huh. Uh, but that could have been... That could have been... <laughs> that's a fateful decision right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh, that's, that's really crazy to think about because it always bothers me. Like, I want Wesley to have a heroic moment, but he does get a million of them on Angel. Right. Um, exactly. But it, I always felt like I wished he would have been able to fight better because... I mean, I well, guess we know his fences. it's weird that his like fencing never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he has like some kind of training. Um, I do. So do we, are we there? Can we talk about the graduation scene? Yeah. I mean, there's so much to it. It's actually a really long se- I, scene. There's just so many beats to it, but I would love if we just each talked about maybe like our favorite beats. Cause there's so much to consume. They're, they're all my favorite beats. Everything from this is my, so I told you how I like, I gasped when I first watched the faith and Buffy fight. The first time I watched Buffy yell. Now I burst into tears <laughs> and I don't really know why, but it still like makes me tear up a little bit just because I'm like, so proud of my children. I'm like my babies, they're all grown up and look at them doing the thing. Like I just feel this swell of pride for all of them and for Buffy, like, getting this fucking plan together. Yeah. I, I don't know. And it just, ugh. I think the feelings that people have for the prom are what I have for Graduation Day Part 2, where the part where she gets the Class Protector Award and everybody sort I have of... have them for both. <laughs> recognizing. No, I totally get that. But uh, I feel like, for me, it's this idea that they're all going to fight for each other. Yeah. And it's not just about Buffy. Like, this is the least, this finale is probably the least about Buffy. That's true. That we really get. You know what I mean? It, like, season six, possibly an exception yeah. as well. But, like, this isn't, it's not like, you know, this time it's personal. It's like, this is right. Buffy fighting for her classmates and her classmates fighting for Buffy and all of them fighting for each other. And, like, and you see that in the just sort of the swirl of everything. And like Xander falls back with the other kids and with the archers and whatever. And like Angel is defending, like Angel's there with Oz. Like it's all very, that stuff I'm such a sucker for is these sort of like, you know, huge casts of, of yes. heroes sort of banding together well, and, and finding in their, all their ways that they can, you know, pitch in. 
It's a very um, Ratatouille-esque ending in that, like... (laughs) You have referenced that so many times, I've never watched that movie. It's my Pixar movie. Um, The theme is, like, anyone can kill, and it's actually (laughs) empowering. Like, yeah, has the power to save the world. Um, and it's any and the answer is like any one of us can. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so it underscores the larger th- kind of thesis of what Chosen almost gets to kind of in that. Like, yeah, you still have to yeah. Still to do that. So it's not everyone, everyone. But yeah. like um, the idea being like the whole show is about this one girl or maybe two girls who have the power to do it. But like everyone has their part in the fight against evil. And like, even if you are just some high school senior who's just fresh out into the world to graduate, like you can participate and help kill Lohesh, right? Yeah. Like it's a thing. And, you can do. Um, I think that the prom episode is a good place to go because weirdly, the problem episode like sort of self-consciously lifts out, right? Like the stakes are incredibly low. It's like literally when we find out that I love that smash cut where we, he's like, you would never understand why I'm doing this. And it's just like, he, can you, would you go out with me? And she says, no. And that's like his whole motive. It's like someone dumped him and he's not, <laughs> and it's like three hellhounds. Like, but because we see the scene where they award her the class protector, we believe this scene, right? Yes. Like, yeah. yes. Because that yeah. tells us that they know more as a community. Giles says at, in that scene, he didn't know that yes. so many children on mass could be gracious, right? <laughs> and that this is the payoff for it, right? Is like, actually, they do see what she's been doing for them. And it's just this culture of fear that they've been living in that has prevented them from doing anything about it. Well, and um, it's also a callback to Earshot, too, right? The, the scene in Earshot where she's talking to Jonathan and she's saying that nobody's recognize nobody's noticed you in pain because, because they're, they're all too busy yeah. like focusing on their own and and I think the prom and graduation day both end up being a little you know being a counter to that a little bit and that's just yeah. like we do we do notice each other we can't help it yeah. and I mean, and even the moment the scene begins like as much as it's played as a joke like one of the people we're saying goodbye to is Snyder right and like right. Yeah. <laughs> even though it's played as a joke where he's like uh, this is a time of celebration so sit still and be quiet like that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that actually is what if they just sit still and be quiet they will all be eaten right like yeah. it's yeah. only because they it's a very strange sequence. Like we literally watch all these characters like, Oh, there's Jonathan. There's Larry building a bomb. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? It also reminds me of how, um, how upset Buffy was going to be that like, she wasn't going to be in the yearbook, you know, like she was just going to be like <laughs> one eighth of one right. page or whatever, like with her picture on it and how much like the show for the show wants us to come away with this note that like high school is, a a culmination of like all the people that you meet and all the connections that you make in some way you know mm-hmm. like if they can ex- make a really bad like transitive property of a quality of a quality thing it's kind of like the high school like high school is hell is the um kind of like one of the theses theses of the show high school equals hell and then like there's the famous um sartre thing like hell is other people right so <laughs> put that all together it's really high school is other people and like the way they bump up against one another and the way that ultimately they come together as a community to like destroy this larger evil that wants to destroy them, even though the whole show has had us thinking like, Oh, they all want to destroy each other. Like everyone is one step away from like taking a drink and beating their girlfriend or like Mm -hmm, becoming invisible mm -hmm. and demanding attention. Like we, the whole 
time have been experiencing all the people in this high school as like one step away from threatening everyone's lives. And now they've all decided that they are worth saving. And it's really beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. I also like they're fighting a giant cock, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) also that um, he turns into a giant. Well, and she calls him Dick. Yeah. She she says it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm just going to read my notes, the points that I make. So the music, the, I can't stress enough how much the music works. Like I think yeah. the, what they do with the music works perfectly and I've never felt, I Is mean. Is this Christoph Beck? Is this the composer still from the guy who wrote this, the angel theme, the angel Buffy theme? I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is. I think, wait, hold on. He does on. eventually leave. Because Christoph Beck did the, did the Buffy Faith did, fight theme. I know that. Yeah, he did this. It is, he did, it's Christoph Beck. And isn't he the same one that did Chosen? I don't know. I can look he it does, up. No, I think that's Duncan. Talking. But I know I he does. He the music the... credits, and all the music credits in the episode are Christoph Beck, as well as the man who wrote Pump and Circumstance. <laughs> 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 yeah, he did. And he he's still writing by the time of gift, uh, The Gift. Like, he wrote that Gift music. Yes. Uh, I think he wrote the music for Frozen, now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, the music's amazing. What else were you saying, Ian? <laughs> Um, I was just trying to look at my iTunes because I know I have that on my iTunes <laughs> somewhere. So, no, the person who does the music in Chosen, his name is Robert Duncan. Oh, yeah. Um, Beck was too big by then, okay. I think. Um, yeah, but I think, so the music works in the same way that watching Buffy and Faith fight is emotional because of, it's mostly, I mean, the, char- the characters, it's emotionally charged and homoerotic and all of those things, but also works as a scene itself. But this works, I think everything is making it emotional, for me at least. Buffy yelling now, and the music that plays when they all throw off their graduation gowns. Also, I screenshot it, and I meant to send it to all of you before we discussed it, but I forgot to. Mm. Matthew, do you remember a few episodes ago when I said there's that extra that looks like Harmony that's in a background a bunch of episodes? Yes. She's also featured in this episode. She's like right behind Buffy and throws off her gown. Like they do a close-up of her after they do Buffy. She's like an extra in like five episodes and doesn't have a name. And I tried to Google her and couldn't figure anything out about oh, that's her. That's funny. Anyway. Um, Are we supposed to believe that Harmony is turned at graduation? Like that. Yeah. That, yes. That's what she says. That vampire, like not only yeah. fed on her, but, <laughs> but then, then made her like, why? <laughs> well, what's the, st- what's the story where wasn't the story that they were going to either have Harmony or I think it was Jonathan come back in season four as a vampire and essentially like they basically flipped a coin between the two of them because after you see harmony get bit you see jonathan sort of like jump onto a vampire and then fall out of screen yeah and both of their fates are like undetermined at the end of the episode well, I feel like that's Larry a story. Larry gets that needless neck break yeah. shot. Right. Like, you, you hear it, too. Yeah. He softly lands. Yeah, the way... Oh, my God. The way his neck snaps is so intense. Well, I remember... Joe, I don't know if you remember this. I remember it being a big... Until season six, when they explicitly say it, I remember it being, like, notes on message boards being, like, did Larry die at graduation? Will we yes. see Larry again? Um, yes. Even though, like, watching now, fans it's like... don't oh. want to let go. Fans don't... Fans yeah. really, you know, they want to make it happen. Well, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't be the first, like, sci-fi show to be like, no, this person's not actually dead. Right. Yeah. Like, I actually think that actor is, like, a Mormon. I don't think he loved that plot. Oh, um, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. the gay plot? Yeah, I, I don't think he wanted to... Co- I think, obviously, like, it's a genre show. They can bring back whoever they want. I think he didn't want to come back. Yeah. Also, like, season four is 
Willow's gay arc. If yeah. Xander had been the one who came out, then we would have seen Larry again, yeah, I think. that's true. Um, but so, okay, so her yelling now, literally I just put Buffy yelling now, hoo boy! Um, <laughs> and then, like, when we see the vamps run, and then Angel's there with Percy and Wesley, I'm just like, oh, I'm so proud of all of you getting together, you did this plan so well! And then, for me, what makes this such perfect YA and why, like, I feel like Joss should write YA books. The, like, whole point of, like, everything you guys have been talking about is explicitly said when the vampire says, get the kids, and they turn, and Willow and mm-hmm. Harmony and all of them are running face-first towards them to fight them all. And, like, for me, that's, like, my proudest mom moment watching the show because <laughs> I just feel like my children all grew up, look at them doing the thing. They are doing... Yeah. They're doing great, and it's, like, showing you, look... They can. They're saying kids as a negative, like oh, they're just yeah. kids. Yeah. But these kids are gonna fucking murder all these vampires because fuck you. Um, and that, like, that's the moment when I cry. Like, I'm teared up watching Buffy yell now. I'm teared up watching Angel and Wesley and Percy. And that moment just like really works for me. And like two seconds later is when Cordelia slays her first vampire. Yeah. Uh, is that really her first? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Prisma Carpenter. She, she specifically asked Joss yes. um, to help to let her stake a vamp before she was gone from the series. I watched That's that why it shot like such a hero moment. Mm-hmm. Is that why? Oh. Yeah. I, like yeah. She he like it's the same way you were saying like he asked about like he asked a lot of the characters what they wanted and she said like let me stake a vamp just so like for Cordelia's had. sake. Oh. I mean, oh, here's my question that I actually am just now realizing I don't know the answer to. Who are all those people with Angel and Wesley when they show up at the back of the? Those are just random people. I think okay. that's I think that's the group Percy's in though. I yeah. seem to remember he's, he's look he looks good. Uh, he does. He, does. Yeah. he always looks good. But okay, but why? So was Percy not one of the graduates? Was he abstaining from the ceremony? Whoa. I mean, I don't know that anyone was like they're not getting their diplomas at the ceremony, you know. Right. Yeah, I just know. I just. I guess I'm realizing that I've never known like where they pulled those people from. Like, who are they supposed to be? Can I just say that's my least favorite emotional beat is when Giles hands Buffy her diploma because I'm like, no one gets their actual diploma at graduation. She's gonna get it in the mail. She's <laughs> like, <he's, laughs> you're handing her a dumb piece of paper. No, back then we got them, didn't we, Joe? Oh, I, I, I do. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I feel like I did too. Yeah, I did. Back then we got them. Well, I, don't about, I don't know why it ha- matters if it's back then, but like at my school, it was just like that piece of paper that you got on the stage. Like there was no way to coordinate who got who because there were so many of us like oh i, I had a very with, small uh, school yeah oh, i graduated with 600 people oh i graduated so. with 92 <laughs> i graduated with 500 but we still got ours they handed you a piece of paper and you got your diploma in the mail like two weeks later <laughs> that's funny i thought um, see i always thought that was like a thing they just newly started doing with like high school because they did that in all my college graduations but uh, um but yeah so all of those moments like literally my last note is just like yes cordia slaying Literally. Well, your point about this being good YA, I think, is, like, the last shot we see is the future is ours, right? The yeah. the cover of the chart. And it's cheesy, but it works. <laughs> remains. <of it. laughs> but, yeah, that's what, like, it. so much of the show has been, at least in these first three seasons, has been about recognizing the evils of the world as is. Like, it's weird to think of, we were talking about, I don't know if it was on air or not, but we were talking about, like, conservatism and Buffy and like when we re- when we were talking about gingerbread we were talking about Buffy as like this reactionary force that she doesn't change and Joyce's accusation she doesn't change anything she just responds 
Um, but to me, that's why Buffy is not like a lot of other superheroes. She doesn't work to preserve the status quo. She works to affect some kind of change, however incompletely, however um, piecemeal. Even when uh, when Willow says she's staying because she wants to fight evil, there's a way to do good here. There is like a sense that the world needs to be changed. And I do like this graduation episode as like a moment to say like, no, these kids will save the world against people like Wilkins, against like these power, against the Watcher's Council, against things that want things to stay the same. These kids will say, well, they won't just behave. You it's know? like, it's like a very positive outlook on children. Or yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that also is supposed to be a wrapping up of kind of like, um, his arc because the very first thing he does when he comes in as principal is like trying to instill order and he's thriving in gingerbread when he gets to instill crypto fascism in the school <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like so I think that is like I mean him being eaten is also the the fate of Mr. Flutie so it's like a lot of just like s- wrapping everything up with him like he is so insignificant he can't have order at his own graduation where he's supposed to be like the person who's presiding over the proceedings and then he just gets eaten um also i want you guys to know um because my mom i always say my mom's a big buffy fan but she's like one of those people that watched it would watch the reruns but like hasn't revisited it so she doesn't remember a lot from it um and when uh-huh. i did the mother's day episode she kept calling him josh whedon um, but I said to my mom, I was like, oh, like we're recording. I was like, oh, do you remember that episode, the graduation day? And she went, oh, I love that episode where the principal, he turns into that snake monster and Buffy has to stab him with Faith's knife. And I was like, you're very close. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think it all works. And also the Buffy graduation day figure comes with that charred yearbook. Like the yearbook oh, really? accessory oh, is like partially charred. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, again, I guess like a a book becomes like a last remnant yeah. of this. <laughs> That's true. Where did he put? He must have put. Did he move that whole collection into his tiny little apartment? Like, where did all those books go? Right, I guess. Right. <laughs> so he rented out a trailer and the uh, yeah, that's probably little, like, storage <laughs> cube or whatever. He got a yeah. storage yeah a storage unit for like ten dollars a month. <laughs> That's what he was doing in all those scenes in season four when we didn't see him and he wasn't around. He was tending to his storage unit full of books. <laughs> Does he drink as much in season four as I remember? Does he? Is he like a lush throughout most of season? No, there are at least a lot of scenes on the show in general. No, he but he drinks a few times to sort of show he's that he's he's become aimless, he's like a wastrel. Yeah, <laughs> drunk. The only time I really remember him being drunk memorably is during something blue when he has to drink to get over Buffy and um, Spike being engaged but isn't he right. drinking in a new man as well he yeah he's 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 he wants more scotch when he's blind and he can smell the fruit roll-ups but he also he's wasted out of his mind when he finds out willow's gay he's like sleeping up in the loft remember and he's like he shouts down like for fuck's sake or something <laughs> <laughs> wait is that is that now i can't remember you guys are probably right though um so what do we grade this episode, and then what do you grade them all as a whole? I mean, I think we're all going to have the same answer. Is it that time, yeah. Matthew? It's that time, right? Yeah, it's that time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say pretty much what I said last time, so I guess I'll go first. Like, I think this is, like, a real, like, um, 
signature piece for the whole show like it wraps up it really could be a series finale other yes. than a few of its minor notes that it's clearly building in for future like right. Anya never really wraps as a character here but like so much of this is like a curtain call for every character what happens next is so much of a departure and to me it it hits every note it needs to hit so a plus for me yeah it's a great wrap up to high school Buffy, like this sort of era of Buffy. And you're right. Like the show does become something significantly different starting in season four. And it it's that sense of completion, that sense of triumph is so palpable and it God, it just nails everything. Like even like the, the, that long scene of them when Buffy's telling them the plan and there's all like, even the comedy in that is so fantastic. When what does Cordelia call Buffy that I still think is so funny? Um, uh, little miss, uh, little miss, little miss likes to fight. (laughs) Yeah. Love that. (laughs) And then the whole thing with Oz and like the hummus, which is such like an Oz like throwaway line. But the fact that like Cordelia comes back to it at the end is just sort of like, so as I was saying, her her box of Ebola. Oh my God. I wanted to, it just like doesn't even have to have Ebola. You can just say it's Ebola. I wanted to point out that that's almost like a precursor to Anya's speech that actually does help in season five. Yeah. Like Cordelia's like, Cordelia is genuinely trying to help, but she's not being helpful, but she's trying. And in season five in the gift, which is one of my favorite Anya moments. That's like, yeah, yeah when she's like the hammer and cause they're like all like being down yep. on Anya for not yeah. being helpful. Like I feel Trying like it's, help. I yeah. Live. <laughs> well, yeah, I, um, I also, I think um, it reminds me of Cordelia in the episode killed by death where she's like, are you sure? Like when she calls it a little mislikes to fight. Cause she's saying like, are you sure you're not just inventing something so you can fight it? <laughs> um, and like Cordelia is always trying to clock Buffy for what she does. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, she also does that here when she says she's always thinking of herself. That's kind of true. Buffy is a, sh- a selfish person. As much as the smash cut to Angel dying is sort of meant to undercut that, like, she yeah. kind of has her number, too. <laughs> um, we also true. get the first mention of shrimp, I think. When yes, Willow is looking yes. for a spell, she says, this one will help us communicate with shrimp, which <laughs> becomes a weird through line throughout the show. At <laughs> some um, point, somebody's going to have to do, like, the uh, the forensic investigation of shrimp as a comedy word because i feel like it's one of those like you know they talk about like words that like just have those hard k sounds that are funny like there's something yeah. about shrimp that is inherently like it really cottons well to comedy i don't <laughs> yeah. know a good is place is doing a long run on shrimp yes right? yeah That's exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about exactly oh my god what is what is it the bad dip that she's still eating oh the, the white chocolate <laughs> yes. <flavored shrimp. laughs> That made me laugh so hard because she's still eating it because that would be me. (laughs) Like, oh, this is terrible, but I'm going to eat it. (laughs) It's weird to me that Kristen Bell has... Oh, she has worked with Whedon. He directed some episodes of Veronica Mars. Of Veronica Mars, yes. He's the reason I got into Veronica Mars. I was interviewed for some... I think it was Vice? No, Broadly interviewed me as a Veronica Mars influencer, which is the nicest (laughs) thing anyone's ever said to me on the internet. (laughs) Um, And... I said that, like, Joss Whedon is the reason I got into Veronica Mars, because he said when it was on the air that it was his favorite show on the air. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll probably like that show then. And then I just bought seasons one and two when they came out on DVD or on sale at Target. Nice. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of weird it's not his show. It's about a little blonde yeah. fight structure, structures of oppression, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. When I bought the DVDs, because this is how little I knew about the show, I thought it was about a detective that solved supernatural crimes. 
Oh, like, right, the yeah. first episode, I was like, wait, there aren't demons on this show? Like, I was, like, taken <laughs> aback because there weren't. Um, uh, although, and, what's his name on Veronica Mars plays the big fat demon from this season? Uh, Balthazar. Wait, who does? Wait, uh, who does? The guy, what's the what's the name of the guy who took the fall in Veronica Mars? The the guy who's in jail that they say killed Lily Oh, Kane. Abel Koontz? Oh, the guy who plays yeah. Abel Koontz? The guy who plays Abel Koontz plays Christian Balthazar. Clemenson? I don't know. But oh. Yes, Joe. Come yeah, through. I know. Come through. TV we expert. Joe yeah. MGB. <laughs> um, he's good at Sinister. Like, he, Balthazar is pretty scary. And I weird think he stuff. went on to be on, like, that show Boston Legal. I think he got an Emmy nomination for Boston Legal at one point. Oh my God, um, really? That's the extent of what I know about Christian Clemenson, the actor. <laughs> Except he was also in The People vs. O.J. Simpson. He was Marsha Clark's co-counsel who has the heart attack uh, oh. in... You're right. He played Bill Hodgman. That's it. All right. That is now the extent of oh. everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been in a lot of things. Yeah. Hmm. I'm looking at his IMDb right now. No, he was Balthazar, though. That's that's a fantastic. Well, I mean, how would you ever recognize him in that suit? But uh, <laughs> once you, if you watch, like when you watch the scenes, you're like, oh yeah, I've seen this face covered in like 600 pounds of rubber. Sure. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy that he's only in one, two, three, four episodes of Veronica Mars. Abel yeah. Coons feels like a character that's in a hundred episodes. Yeah. Well, he has so much presence. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the Buffy so podcast. So it's time for grading. <laughs> so, sorry, and, sorry, and, my fault. No, no, no. Um, normally it's my fault, so I'm glad it's someone else's for a change. Um, <laughs> Joe, did you did you grade it? I don't know. I don't even remember. I did, but it's A pluses across the board. Like, Matthew? A... Not an A plus, just an A. I don't give A pluses. My grade only goes to A. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Well, I give bonus points for Trudia slaying her first vampire. Um, So I give an A plus. It's like 110. Um, Yeah, because I fucking, I, I love these episodes. These are like, watching them again, I'm like, was like, are these my favorite episodes of Buffy? Because they might be. I mean, Hush is my favorite, but, like, these are really close up there. Well, you know what's funny is, like, I never, when you, we always talk about those episodes of Buffy that you can just watch casually, I never casually watch Graduation Day Part 1 and 2. It has but too much like, psychic heft. You'd be yeah, it has too much psychic heft to enjoy passively, but then when I sit down and, when I sat down and watched it for this, I was like, Jesus Christ, these are two of the best, or if taken us together, one of the best episodes of television ever. Yes. Like, yeah, it's correct. just so good. And, and I feel like when even... we talk about it in context of stuff like Hush and like once more with feeling and like the more like standalone ones that get like a lot of the spotlight mm-hmm. is I, I have to really respect an episode that gets to be this good while still having to like, you have your uh, compulsory like elements you have to like get to certain, um, you know, plot points. And yeah. whereas like an episode of like hush is fantastic, but you're essentially able to just sort of create from whole cloth. Yeah. Oh, actually that's not true. I know we, we got, I'm, backing us into this whole standalone <laughs> argument again aren't i i'm so sorry because that is true that hush does hit on some like moves does move the plot forward um but like graduation day feels like there's a lot more that you have to get to yeah and the fact that they do that so elegantly and so thrillingly is i get it extra credit for that well the thing you can't do with graduation day is give it what people think is a compliment to say of tv which is like oh it's as good as a movie because in fact it's not a movie it's like right. It's paying off 
three years of soap plots, yep. um, like one after another, like dominoes. That's what's so satisfying about that scene in the library where it's cutting between her and the mayor. Like we have, we're not just emotionally invested in her. We're emotionally invested in the person she's trying to defeat. We know that even if she wins, Angel's going to leave. Like every yep. beat of it is doing so much work because it has so much. Um, we care about all about yeah. half of these red shirts that are running away. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's his name? Doesn't get a beat. Poor uh, Scott Hope, but whatever. No, <laughs> that that's my only. No, he'll get his later. That's, that's my right. yeah. my only issue that I wrote down in my notes is that I do wish because this is so big in scale. I wish it were bigger. I wish what? we had. <laughs> I, I wish we had seen Scott Hope. I wish we had seen every every one off character from fucking Earshot. I wish we had seen. Devin. It's weird that he's not there. The guy who's the lead singer of Dingo's Ate My Baby. Mm. Um, oh, so cute. Yeah. Right. Um, like, well, for, he's graduated. That's why. Well, right, right. But so was like, Oz. You would think Oz would be like, "Hey, we need all the help we can get. Come help." <laughs> but you get like one flamethrower that seems to be sort of like floating by itself, and that's Clint uh, <laughs> Ball's character. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know which character I wish had ever come back is that girl who really hates Buffy from Earshot, where she's watching yes. her like climb up the wall. Oh my wall. god! Yeah, like yeah. she was standing aside from graduation. She's like, "I could have done that." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the last, as the last uh, words of season three, oh my God. she just stands among the wreckage and just <laughs> looks and says, I could have done that. I, like, clearly that's like a silly complaint I have. It's not really even like, it's just something I, I like think about now where I'm like, oh, I would have really loved that. Because also, what the fuck was Scott Hope doing? Like, uh, he would have been subtracted from the angel breakup thing like we don't need to think about buffy's other relationships or non-started relationships i guess i guess i mean not always if you behind the high school and if you guys hear me talk about chosen that's that's going to be my that's my complaint about chosen is that i wish we had gotten cameos from everyone Mm. like i want big fish ending yes that's yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just want everyone. You're like, oh my god, Durkindistad, you were yeah. here too? <laughs> <laughs> it's also the Titanic ending. I feel compelled to also say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I go for in my. Yeah. Anyway, well, um, thanks for listening. Thank you guys for being on for both parts and sticking Thank around. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This was so much fun, you guys. Um, yeah. Um, when I either of you, it always feels like I'm just like hanging out with you guys in whatever room I'm in. Oh, uh, am I officially a Scooby now? You <laughs> are. Now you've been on more yes, than two episodes. You are. Which one yes. do you want to be? Actually, we're assigning you. You are. No, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you... Dawn's not taken. I want. I love Dawn. She's okay, you're Dawn. You can yes. be Dawn then. Greg. Go ahead, take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love her. I'll come back for the real me or whatever her first episode is. Oh, nice. <laughs> God, I love season five, but I think those first, that like beginning is rough, aside from Buffy vs. Dracula. Anyway. I'm going to spend the next six months thinking about Little Miss Muffet, and when you get there, I'm going to have like a full, <laughs> close reading. <laughs> oh my God, it's like you as like the Charlie Day meme with all the papers. <laughs> like, guys, this is how Little Miss Muffet relates to what's happening on Buffy. You're if like, anyone can out. do it, Anthony, I have uh, faith that you can do it. It. That feels like the nicest insult anyone has ever given. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just love you boys. Okay, so thanks for listening. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow our podcast at SlayerFestX98. And if you want to follow Matthew on Twitter, you can follow him at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. 
if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at Ian X Carlos. And don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast. Review on it I- on iTunes. Give us that yes. good review. Unless you don't like us, then just don't review us at all. Um, and just keep your opinion to yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anthony, where can people find you? I am on Twitter, Koopa, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. And Joe? find me on twitter at joe reed j-o-e-r-e-i-d and yeah we'll see you guys again next week thanks for listening this is the end of season three bye 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 bye